Welcome to Cult Cinema Cavalcade. The episode you are listening to will include plot spoilers and may contain harsh language. This is Cult Cinema Cavalcade. This is Brandon, and this is another bonus episode during our run of Godzilla. Coming from our upcoming episode, Godzilla vs. Adora, a.k.a. Godzilla vs. the Smog Monster. But we brought on director, actor, producer, and he does it all, David Cronmeller, to talk the film with us. But he also, we interviewed him about his film, Boris and the Bomb, which you can find now on Amazon Prime. And the interview was terrific and lengthy for good reasons. The content's great. Uh, David was very open about the film, streamlined. I mean, it's an interesting conversation. It goes in great directions. And I think we really should give an episode to just focus and appreciate that and have David have the spotlight and talk about his new movie, which you should go check out on Amazon Prime. It's called Boris and the Bomb. But here, we're just going to have the interview portion. And then tomorrow, the episode of Godzilla vs. Adora with David Cronmiller talking about it will drop. So you get both. So we can get right to the chase. So people coming in wanting to see Godzilla vs. Adora and then not cutting to the chase fast enough, well, you're in luck. You can click on that one and it will. So this one... Definitely check it out, the interview for now, and uh, then we'll be back with Godzilla vs. Sedora tomorrow. Joining today, actor, writer, director, producer, stand-up comic, and the man who has given us and the world the film Boris and the Bomb, David Cronmiller. Hello, hello, hello. First time here? Let's get to know you a little bit. Uh, you have a film that's readily available for people to watch right now. It is. It's on Amazon Prime. Uh, it's called Boris and the Bomb. It's about what happens when a washed-up KGB agent gets in the backseat of an Uber with a nuclear bomb. He has 48 hours to disarm, and it's a fun action comedy. And one of our stars, I think is appropriate for tonight, uh, aside from Anthony McCarthy, who plays Boris, uh, is TJ Storm, who is the current Godzilla. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he's, uh, he's one of the like, baddies in a film full of baddies. Yeah, yeah, he is. We try to make like some uh, some some interesting villains uh, uh, in the film. We were trying to be a little bit different, especially with Storm, because we love him dearly and we've been friends for a long time. So we wanted to write a character that was a little complex for him and a little different. He's a villain, but he's a villain that you um, you find yourself rooting for, I think, at least at one point in the film. Uh, and you feel a little bit bad about some of the things that happened to him. I hope anyway. And Storm did an amazing performance. He got a great review just recently from a critic who, who watched the film and said that he was tremendous, which is how everybody... Skills, too, martial arts skills. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. He, you know, he, he was hard working, um, you know, making the movie because we, uh, you know, we didn't have a lot of time. We had, we shot for about 50 days. We had no money. Uh, we raised 10000 on Kickstarter, but 5000 of that went to insurance, uh, oh. and about two or 3000 of that went to food because we had a bunch <laughs> of stunt people. Um, so we actually made the movie you saw... Uh, the the bulk of it of principal photography for about three thousand five hundred dollars. Wow! God. Uh, yeah, and Storm was wonderful. Uh, we wrote the film for all the people that are in it. They, all those parts are written for them. It was it was sort of a, a project that came together with a group of people who wanted to make something together. And Storm was my sensei years ago for like one whole year until I got hurt and I was like oh, I can't do it anymore. And. Uh, <laughs> And, but I, you know, we cast him in the web series that the, the movie's based on. We had a web series called Ann Boris. That ran I was going to ask you about that. I, I saw that there was a web, uh, like an Ann Boris. I'm like, that's got to go together 
So yeah, yeah, yeah. No, we, we did a web series about 10 years ago. During the economic collapse in 2009, uh, my wife and I were uh, out of work, laid off, thanks to all of that fun stuff. And we had some gift cards to Home Depot. And we decided, you know what, let's let's do a web series. We used a camera. <laughs> As you do. As you do, <laughs> to keep ourselves busy. And over the course of a year, we shot three seasons of a web series. It ended up being about, let's see, season one was only about 30 minutes long. Season two was an hour and a half. Season three was another hour and a half. And Storm came in in season three for us and uh, was our big bad in season three. And we had a lot of fun with him and, and Covey Ladner, uh, who's also in, in the feature. Uh, and then when we did the feature, we're like, you know, it makes sense to bring Storm back because he's an you know, amazing martial artist been a phenomenal actor and why not bring that person back but it was it was challenging because he was busy he is a busy busy man he's a motion capture actor and he's he plays godzilla he's he's the reference for the current godzilla i have pictures of him somewhere with uh, uh with the godzilla tail on uh his butt uh that he uh did in the mocap stages or wherever they they, they shot his reference footage but he's also like he's these darth vader invader immortal Right now, the video game, he's uh, the lead in some of the Call of Duty uh, games. He's He was Colossus and Deadpool and Dancing Baby Groot. He's been in a ton of these movies. And so when we were shooting with him, he was often coming from another set and, and giving us, you know, two or three hours of his time to shoot his scenes. And he would show up, he'd be prepared, he'd get off book very quickly, he'd put, turn it on during the take, and then after the take, he'd have to go take a nap because uh, oh. he was, you know, he was going from one project to another. Uh, and sometimes he was able to tell us what it was, sometimes he couldn't. And so it was, a, it was a lot of fun. But he's a wonderful man. He's a sweet human being. Much like Godzilla. Yeah, he's the, <laughs> the, night, the, he's the, the kindest Godzilla around. It really is true. Yeah, he's uh, He just toured, in fact, the Godzilla Studios in Japan and got to meet all the original people. And it was funny. We were at a, uh, we were promoting the movie back in August, right before we got uh, – right before we went to the Valley Film Festival. We, uh, we were promoting it at the Bakersfield Collector's Con. We had a little booth set up and we're passing out flyers and things. And uh, people would walk by. They'd see Storm's face. And one person was like, oh, I saw him just last week at the Godzilla convention. Uh, <laughs> we were like, oh, hey, I'm glad you recognize him because usually he's wearing the outfit or digitally, you know. So it's uh, it was nice that somebody actually put two and two together and I remember that he was he was part of that. But he's fantastic and he's great in the film. We wanted to give him something special. His character has a little love triangle with Kirk Caceres and Covey Ladner's uh, characters. Kurt's from uh, Prison Break and a whole bunch of other series and Covey was on Heroes. And Covey's daughter, Leela Ladner, who's in the film and plays someone's daughter in our movie is the current lead in Disney Junior's Mira Royal Detective. She is the next Disney princess. Mm, uh, and, we, and we got her feature film debut uh, in Boris and the Bomb. And she does an amazing job in the film. I thought she was really quite lovely. The first day of shooting with Leela was uh, not the first day with Storm, but it was one of the first days with Storm on the film. film. But it was my first time working with Leela as an actor. I noticed that she was a little kid. And uh, we were shooting a scene, uh, you've seen the film, where Storm finds her in the back of a car uh, mm -hmm. playing a video game. So that there's, there's a scripted part of that scene. People ask us if there was improv in the movie, and I sometimes say no. Uh, but the reality is there were little bits of improv here and there to begin or end a scene. And in one particular, this particular case, well, she, you know, she shows up. Uh, she seems a little nervous, but she's, she's ready. And she gets in the backseat of that car, and the storm comes up. We start going through the coverage of the, of the shot of the scene and they just they click immediately and that whole game that they're playing is storm improvising you know past the duck you know past the thing 
what he's saying to her. He's making it up as he, as he goes because the scene just ended with them playing the game. And they kept going. And it was a wonderful thing to see this really, she was 12 when we shot the movie, you know, see this 12-year-old actress just be able to just jump into a scene improv with T.J. Storm, somebody, a veteran like him, and do it effortlessly. It was that moment where, you know, as a director, you're on set, you're like, is this going to work out? Is this going to be okay? And I was like, oh, okay, she can act and he can act and everything's fine. And, and they're connecting and I believe them. And it really played out very nicely, I thought. Yeah, and you as a director, I mean, it's a huge challenge. You have a monster cast in this, like a lot it's of people, insane. a lot of characters got to wrangle. And like, I, I, I consider it like, I felt like it was like a almost kind of a jigsaw puzzle that yeah. you start putting it. Oh, okay. 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 It starts coming to, together because there's, there's kind of like, there's different relations, different yeah. people. Sometimes you feel, and I love how you feel like, oh, this is a bad guy. Oh, wait, you know what? You know what? I, I do like that person. I think that, and then they end up being, yeah, it's a yeah. lot of twists and turns and allegiance is changing. It's, it's pretty crazy, but you handled it masterfully. It's pretty impressive. Oh, thank you. Um, you know, we, we, my wife and I wrote the film, and believe it or not, it's based a little bit on our lives. That may be a, a, a do, um, do we hard, need to hard... tell the FBI about something you're hiding? Or yeah, how many bombs <laughs> do you have? <laughs> no, 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 nothing to do with bombs. But uh, well, there's a lot of the family stuff. There's an exploration of it's a comedy, and it's meant to be mm-hmm. fun. But there's an expo- exploration of what a family is and the consequences we have in our families. And the bomb represents all of the unexploded consequences in our past, the things we're avoiding and not dealing with in our lives. And how if we don't uh, deal with them, they'll either explode in our face and be a big boom or maybe a little boom. You never know which way it'll go. But you have to deal with it. You can't just let the past sit back there and, and percolate forever and, and be this burden you're carrying around. And, you know, in the film explores a few different family types. You know, you have uh, Kale and Emily, the FBI agents chasing him, who are a divorced couple. They're getting back together. So maybe there's hope. And then there's Amy and Peter. They're in a sitcom. They have a perfect family. Everything's working. They're funny. They're, they're having action. They, they have a kid. They have a comedy club. Why not? And then there's Raphael and Maya, the single parents, trying to work, make it work with their kid. But then you have Boris, who, who has no family. His only family is this damn bomb. And as he tries to deal with it, he screws up all of these people's lives, some of them which he had experiences with in the past and some, of, of course, are newer to the story. You know, and it's about dealing with that. We use the, the bomb. There's a few references from the film. A lot of 80s references um, uh, inspired us. Uh, but the bomb was um, very much coming from a movie called Heavy Metal mm-hmm. uh, in the early mm-hmm. 80s mm-hmm. Uh, where there's that green orb, the Grimlock, I think is what it's called, that gets passed around from, from short cartoon to short cartoon. And every time it comes into someone's life, it's, it, it screws them up. It, it causes them to be greedy or whatever it is. So as the bomb is passed around from person to person, we see it basically bringing out the worst in their behavior and the worst in their decision-making. And they almost forget about the bomb. They almost forget like it's not there because they're so distracted by what they're doing that they keep you know, pushing that back and, and, and avoiding it. The, the personal stuff is, you know, yeah, there's a lot of family stuff. Both my wife and I come from, you know, divorced childhoods. And uh, so there's some exploration of that. And then there's my own story, which is unusual. Uh, Brandon probably does not know this unless he's done some deep, deep research because I haven't talked about it much yet. But my father, when I was about 12 years old, came out to me and not as gay. That would have been a reasonable thing given my parents' divorce uh, in the late 80s, but as a spy. My dad worked for the State Department. Uh, in my early childhood, I grew up in the Amazon jungle and overseas, and I moved around a lot. And there was, So that was always... 
you know, a fascination for me of the, the world of espionage because of what my dad did and my, my sort of viewpoint on it. So that's where that, that comes from, you know, so the, the character of Sammy, played by Ferran Tahir, who's uh, famous for being the villain in Iron Man and the Star Trek captain at the beginning of Star Trek 2009, who sacrifices his life so that George Kirk could sacrifice his life so that Jim Kirk could oh. have daddy issues. <laughs> you know, he plays a character named Sammy in the film, who's Maya's, Cubby Ladner's character's father in the film, who's really the big bad, the big, big bad in the movie. And uh, he's very much based on my dad. Uh, <laughs> you know, it, it's very a personal film for us, even if it is, you know, a crazy action comedy. And yeah, there's a 40, there's over 40 speaking parts in the film, which is just insane. You know, there was more because we gave, we made sure all the stunt people had the ability to, to speak on camera and we kept some of it. We couldn't keep all of it because our first cut was two hours and 40 minutes and uh, we wrote really fast. The project started first as a fourth season of the web series. A network was looking at us to pick us up. They needed some extra episodes. So we wrote a few extra episodes. Uh, we wrote three, two of the episodes I wrote and then one episode my wife wrote. I hated the episodes I wrote. I loved the episode she wrote. It was about an Uber driver and Boris uh, driving around at night. When that project sort of fell through, we're like, hey, let's do a feature instead. But this is like May, April, May of 2016 is when, when this all started. And we wrote one draft of Boris and the Bomb, and we had a different villain. We didn't have Ferranti here, Sammy, in it. Uh, we had my other friend, uh, Todd Stashwick, who was on 12 Monkeys as Vladimir. Uh, he was on our web series, too, in that third season. And we were going to have his character come back. But Todd was in the middle of shooting 12 Monkeys last two seasons and wasn't sure. And he was also writing a Star Wars thing and doing a whole bunch of other stuff. So he wasn't sure if he had time to commit to it. And we were starting to do our Kickstarter at the same time. And we were really trying to get Todd to join, trying try to get him to, to join up. And, and we made videos and sent them to him going, hey, Todd, join us. And then, like, he took so long to say yes or no that my wife and I had a change of heart about the direction of the film and realized that it made more sense to make it all about family. Uh, so we got rid of the Vladimir character, released Todd, and said, sorry, we're going to go a different way. Sorry, buddy, for all of that. And uh, we got Ferran here, who signed on pretty quickly uh, to play Sammy. So my wife and I wrote the draft you see of the film was probably written, oh, my gosh, uh, in under a month. And then as we were shooting, we would refine it. And so we kind of wrote thick and knowing we would be cutting some stuff after we shot just because we didn't have enough time to to have the project really gestate and, and, and go through the normal process. So, yeah, the first the first draft was uh, the first cut was a little long. It was a, it was a little long. It was two hours and 40 minutes. Uh, we had a whole side story thing we had to cut out and everything. Some stuff with you know, Kirk Caceres and, and Cubby Ladner's character and Leela that we cut out that we were very sad to cut out, but it just didn't fit in the film. You could have you made two movies. Could have. Oh, <laughs> don't you dare. <laughs> there, will be, there will be deleted scenes galore. There's, there's a lot of fun stuff. Do you have any like options for like physical media distribution at all at this time, or is it just merely streaming and still looking? Well, we're no, we we are set. We are set. Okay. We um we got really lucky. You know, we, we got in the Valley Film Festival last August, September, and after that, or shortly after that, you know, we at the film festival we uh, they had a distribution meet and greet and pitch meeting with a bunch of different distributors, sales agents, and producer reps. And we met with a bunch of them. And then after all of that ended, Tracy Adlai, who's wonderful and, and a dear friend now, uh, who really championed us, and she's the head of the Valley Film Festival, she told us about indie rights, indie rights movies. Another film from the festival had just gotten picked up 
from them from the, from the previous year. And uh, she said, you know, you might want to look into this company. They're, they seem pretty good. They're getting a lot of uh, positive reaction from people because they're very open. They're very open with how they do things. A lot of distributors like to tack on fees and, oh, we have to do marketing. So, we'll get, so you never see any money. So no matter how the math works out, you, you never see a dime. You know, and any rights is different than that. Uh, they they're much more they're eighty twenty split. There's no hidden fees. You have to handle a lot of the marketing yourself, but they handle all the distribution. So we have a three year exclusive uh, distribution deal with indie rights movies. That's worldwide. Amazon Prime is just our first platform. We're now popular on Amazon Prime, which is awesome. We're in the popular category, which is exciting. You have to scroll down a little bit to find us, but we're there. We're near the court gesture, which is weird. I thought, you know, hmm. it was a, yeah, uh, it was court gesture. is apparently very popular right now with Danny Kay. We're right, right next to that. And then we're going to be on Tubi streaming platform, okay. and then we're going to be on uh, iTunes, Google Plus. Uh, I think I don't know if I can say this fully yet, but there's a couple other ones that are coming down the, the pipe. There's distribution in other countries in Europe, and then there's sales to China that'll happen. So we're 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 set worldwide distribution with indie rights movies. Uh, Linda Nelson and Michael over at indie rights are, have been wonderful. It was funny, like we we dropped the drive with the movie. You know, I had to do a lot of the post myself. You know, on the film, so I had been tweaking the movie. I edited, I did the sound, a lot of the sound editing, and about half of the visual effects that are in the film. There's over 230 visual effects in the film, and we dropped off the drive on a Monday morning uh, on uh, January 22nd or January uh, 17th, I think. Something like that. It was a Monday. And Linda at Indie Rights is like, yeah, we, you, you probably wanted to get it online fast, right? Like, yeah, yeah, sure. She's like, okay, well, we might be able to have you up on Amazon by next week or the week after. We're like, oh, that sounds great. That's, fa- that's fantastic. Wow, it's fast. And we left. And by the way, I passed QC, which Brandon will appreciate. There you go, yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> they, they had to look at all our all, – I had to generate four ProRes files with different you know, 5.1 mix, the stereo mix. <laughs> uh, but past QC, I felt very good. And they were impressed. Nobody had ever done it before. <laughs> it was it was the first time. Like apparently everybody always screws something up, and and uh, but I was very I was like no I'm not screwing this up. I hadn't slept in weeks either. Getting the film ready, and so we drop the drive off. We go home, and like two days later, I'm checking. I see an email come in from Linda. He's like, hey, you're on in, you're on, on Amazon. I was like, what? And I, I go on Amazon Prime, and there we are. And I was like, ah. So like it happened within two days of dropping off the drive. We were oh, we were on wow. Prime, streaming and, and hitting the ground running, and having to do promotions and. And emailing people and just letting everybody know and, and starting to do the whole uh, rigmarole. And uh, now here we are a month later and we're in the popular category, which is great, and coming on to other streaming platforms very, very, very soon. It's exciting. Congrats. And just, I mean, the core triumph of writing, directing, and completing a feature film, it's just, uh, it's a feat that's so fantastic that I don't think many understand or appreciate just how big of a deal that is on a large or a small scale. <sighs> yeah. The fact that you have it in an era where you can you have it accessible on Amazon and come to more like right away, that's pretty awesome. Uh, thank Dude. you. You know, it, it took a long time to finish the movie. You know, we, we shot over 50 days in 2016 during the election. Um, <laughs> oh, boy, that thing was that was that was a, st- a stressful thing for everybody because not everybody in our cast agreed on everything. So did you and, just before uh, see him be like, use it. <laughs> tried, tried. We had we had a shoot the day after the election, one of our oh. last shoot days. Oh god! And uh, if I remember correctly, I actually cut it short because they were just not in a good place. I was like, Yeah, yeah we'll we'll do this again some other day, just to go home. Uh, <laughs> 
And uh, it was it was hard. It was interesting. But, it, you know, it's it's apropos, I guess, that we're coming out this year during another election. But we shot in 2016. Then I edited it. My composer and I were working in tandem. I would work in reels. And he would score a reel at a time as I delivered a reel at a time just to get it done as efficiently as possible. Although I don't know if that ended up being efficient. So it took about a year to edit picture and then another year to, to tweak that and to do the sound design and sound editing. So about, about two, three years, uh, 2016, 2017, 2018, yeah, 2017, 2018 to edit. And then 2019 was sort of refining and getting it ready for the festival and, and all of that. It took, it took a while. It, it, it's, it's funny. It's like it happens. Yeah, it, we delivered the drive and two days later it's up on Amazon. You know, but that was like me working every day for, oh, since 2016, a few hours a day you know, and doing my other job and being a dad and, you know, and having other responsibilities. And uh, that was hard. I spent a lot of time in the corner of my kitchen where I'm sitting right now and <laughs> at my 10-year-old computer. We edited this film on a 2010-2009 iMac. Oh, wow. In 4K. Oh, wow. uh, yeah. We used proxies, but it was hard and it was sometimes very, very slow. Like, um, I click save. Let's go get lunch and come back. Pretty much, yeah. Oh. It would be like, yeah, it'll be done in 24 hours, maybe 30. I don't know, maybe a week. We'll let you know, David. And yeah, it was that was hard. Yeah, you know, um, I, I look forward to the next project. A, not editing it myself, and, and not having to do it on a 10 year old Mac that uh, is very mad at me. It's a very angry Macintosh. <laughs> it's earned some rest, <laughs> I'd say. Yeah, it's, hey, it, I've it, turned it's up some for us in the bomb. Leave me alone. It, it, it did visual effects for the movie. I was I was surprised it could do that. By the way, After Effects works great. Uh, 2010 iMac. Adobe Premiere, a little temperamental, a little temperamental. I don't know why the two are different, but whoever wrote the After Effects for, for Adobe did a great job. Whoever wrote Premiere, eh, yeah, wasn't sure. They weren't they weren't so sure uh, how to be efficient with video. But no, it, it went great. You know, I, I am looking forward to moving on to another project. We might do a sequel. Uh, we'll see how this one goes. We're we're sort of waiting and seeing, you know, as uh, as information comes in about how how the film's doing. I know people who have started to see it and it's starting to get a little bit of attention, are wanting to see where the story goes. And uh, so we have a, a the title for the next sequel would be Boris and the Bobs, because <laughs> there there are there are actually six other bobs still out there in the world that he has to find that were connected to this bomb. So uh, that would be the sequel. We'd get more into the group or silly bad guys, the group called the group. And we bring back a lot of the characters and, and uh, maybe even some of the dead ones might make an appearance or two. We'll see. And so we're, we're hoping to do that. But next uh, for us, uh, my wife and I just launched our production company, Fisheye Lindsay Productions, officially. We are now a real thing, which is crazy. And we're in the middle of development and pre-production on our next feature, which we're hoping to start shooting uh, we want to do it this summer, but it's probably going to be a little bit later. But it's a Christmas movie that we're working on, actually, next, uh, is, uh, is a Christmas film. And how many bombs are in that one? Absolutely none. Well, then yeah. why did you make – why are we even here? <laughs> I, I mean, my and, God. And, and, but mainly because I, I just I – don't, I don't want to make a movie with 40 actors. You know, that's a lot. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that is a scheduling nightmare. That was the hardest oh, part. Oh, gosh, yeah. yeah. Like, so I'm saying that is quite a feat. <laughs> well, we had, we had one actor sometimes for like two hours. And he'd have to learn fight choreography, oh learn his blocking, dialogue, and shoot in a two-hour period. 
So cool. he'd get to set, he'd jump in, and we I've known him for twenty years, so it wasn't it was Kirkus Harris. You know, <laughs> so so we've we, we have a shorthand kind of, but he was in one of my student films at USC film school way back in the day. And so he would come to set, he would jump in, he was going through a lot at the time, he was working on a TV show and then had some other stuff going on in his life, and he would just dive in and luckily he knows what he's doing and he's a damn good actor. Because, like, you know, before the take, Kurt and I joke about this now. You know, I'd be like, oh, I can't, why is he so, why, why only have two hours? You know, why can't I have more time? And, uh, and then I'd hear yeah, a call action, and he, he was brilliant. Every time the camera rolled, I was like, oh, yeah, there's Raphael. I mean, I, I, I hate the character because he's a mean guy, but uh, there he is. So it worked out, but it was hard. You know, it, it helped that we had a cast that was just, A, very good. At, at, they were just solid actors. And, B, they knew their craft, you know, not just as an actor, but physically. You know, being able to do stunts and fight choreography, that takes some skill and some training. You know, we had a training period for a lot of the other cast members who didn't have it. But uh, people like Kurt, you know, they've done Sons of Anarchy and Prison Break and a bunch of you know shows where they've had to do fights a lot. Um, and that just, you know, showed. I mean, it's fraud to hear. We had him for three days. And uh, he comes on set. He brings his own wardrobe. He drove up from San Diego every day to shoot with us. That's where he was living at the time. Uh, he's a sweet, wonderful human being. And he would come up, and he added so much class to our production. Uh, he would tell stories about, you know, Schwarzenegger and Stallone he's worked with and, and all these great people. We wrote him enormously long, obnoxious monologues uh, <laughs> for this man to do. And there's a scene. They're in the car. They're driving over a mountain on their way to Kentucky. And it's Kirk Caceres and, and him. And there's a long-ass monologue. He nails it. Of course, he's Furon. But we shot that scene and then all the other car scenes you see in the film with Farad and, and Kurt within about a two-hour period. Oh. And it was just like get in the car, do the scene, do three takes, move on, get into the next car, shoot that sequence. All right, and now let's go do another scene. But it was that kind of movement. And Farad, he was, he was so game. He did all his own stunts. He was eager to get in there and fight with Tony, with Boris, uh, and do their, 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 uh, their big fight in the third act. I don't want to give away too much. He was so good. He was so much fun to play with. Uh, and it helped, you know, like you, when you have people showing up who are that ready and willing to dive in, you know, A, it makes you as a director step up and go like, well, I can't screw this up. These people I have Ferranti here rolling around in the grass, you know, and this is, uh, I don't want to screw up this guy's career or, or embarrass him or make him feel bad, yeah. <laughs> you know, or any of that, you know. So it was it was very important that, you know, that all of us stepped up and, and, uh, and recognized sort of the gift we had of these wonderful actors who were just giving us their their time, you know. It was it was really lovely. It was a wonderful experience. Uh, post for me was harder than than production, and production was made easy by the fact that people like Ferran and Kurt and, and Covey and everybody just they were prepared to play when they came to set. Boris of the Bob, you can find it on Amazon Prime and coming soon to Tubi. I love yep. Tubi. That's a yeah. Tubi's great. Tubi uh, is Tubi's great. A, a fantastic independent film. Uh, uh, and, and just film in general. Like, they, have a, they have a lot of content on there. Robert Rodriguez's movie is, just came out on Tubi. And I think they're investing like $100 million in the new content on Tubi, too. Uh, so so, so they're, they're, on the, they're, they're growing. All right. Thanks for uh, listening to that. I, I thoroughly enjoyed that interview, and I'm glad it could just be appreciated on its own right. But we'll be back with more kaiju action as uh, Godzilla versus. Hedora takes place, and I think it's a great episode, and you're going to be really surprised how it goes. So until next time, uh, tomorrow, yeah, uh, go back and listen to the other trailer that uh, actually trails, because there is not one for this. So see you tomorrow. 
Thank you for listening to Cult Cinema Cavalcade, part of the Creative Zombie Studios Network. Follow CC Cavalcade on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to the show on cultcinemacavalcade.com, iTunes, and anywhere podcasts are found. For press opportunities, advertising opportunities, and more information on Cult Cinema Cavalcade, contact mail at cultcinemacavalcade.com. Produced by Brad Shoemaker. Edited by Brandon Peters. Narration by Rebecca Peters. Theme song Pink Baby by Happy Elf appears courtesy of the freemusicarchive.org network. The film and music featured in this episode are part of their respective studios and no infringement is intended. Join us again in two weeks for a new episode of Cult Cinema Cavalcade. Where is the bomb? Bomb. A nuclear bomb. It's a nuclear bomb. <laughs> right. <laughs> Duh. <laughs> it's a nuclear bomb? Duh. Give me my mic. Mulligan. Peter. Boris? We need your help. He's dead. You're leaked all over my cover with your dumb blood. Oh, these are heroes. You have saved Francis and me. As long as I am alive and bomb is hidden, buried. The group could not touch me or the people I care for. If they tamper with bomb, the goes poof. Everything goes poof. Do you want everything to go poof? I don't want anything to go poof. Look, I'm tracking the bomb, and we might want to hurry or it might go off. The nice little chick, aren't you? Who was that? No one that matters anymore. Love you, baby. Love you, baby. Did someone use this nuclear bomb as a weapon? <laughs>